up next on Walking by Faith. Now, if I take a magnifying glass and look at something, I don't make it bigger than it is, but I see it more clearly. Now, what happens when you begin to praise and when you begin to give thanksgiving to God, you begin to see how good God is, how He's already saved you, forgiven you, delivered you, provided for you. And as you begin to give Him thanks for the things that He's done, you begin to see how great God is. Hello, I want to welcome you to Walking by Faith and thank you for joining us today. So we're going to be talking about two very, very important subjects. I want to talk to you a little bit about the importance of praise and worship. You may not realize this, but honestly, we become like the one that we worship. And when we worship God, He literally, when we begin to praise Him, He literally becomes bigger in our eyes. David said, I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. And when we begin to thank Him, when we begin to praise Him, our problems appear smaller and we get a perspective of God that's real, that He is large, that He is in charge. And I want to also talk to you today about the importance of reaching the next generation and how you can have an effect on the next generation of Christians. This is going to be a powerful message. Would you join me right now as the message begins? Now, when it comes to worship, some people, they just want to do it when they feel like it. All right? In fact, some people will stay out in the foyer during worship. You know, because that's just kind of like, you know, the preliminary stuff, all right? And then they want to come in for the Word, all right? Because worship, what, you know, it's not that important. You do realize uh, we are going to worship for all of eternity, all right? Worship is extremely important. Praising God is extremely important. In fact, Hebrews 13 says this, Therefore, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Now notice it says we need to continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Now the sacrifice of praise is when you don't want to. But here's what you don't know, that when you don't want to is when you need it the most. I'm serious. When you don't want to is when you need it. When you don't want to praise God, when you, there, there isn't thanksgiving in your heart, it's because you're under the situation, the problems that are around you, right? And you've got problems. And so you don't want to, you don't want to praise God because you've got these problems. You're depressed because you've got these problems. And you think that the problem is the problem, but the problem is that you think that your problem is the problem because the real problem is not your problem. The problem is you think your problem is your problem. And that's the truth. Now listen, this is what it says, Psalm 69 all right, David said, I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. Right? Now, what often happens in life, all right, we're getting beat up by all the things that are coming against us. Right? And we see that problem, that situation, and, and we see that thing, and it appears to be this big. All right? And you, you read a verse in the Bible, and it appears to be about that big. So what you have is you have a little promise and a little God and a big problem, right? But David said, when you begin to praise and when you begin to be thankful, he says, you magnify the Lord. Now, if I take a magnifying glass and look at something, I don't make it bigger than it is, but I see it more clearly. 
Now, what happens when you begin to praise and when you begin to give thanksgiving to God, you begin to see how good God is, how he's already saved you, forgiven you, delivered you, provided for you. And as you begin to give him thanks for the things that he's done, you begin to see how great God is. And how God is not some distant figure out somewhere in the galaxy, but that God loves you and he's concerned about every aspect of your life and he will become involved in every aspect of your life. And as you begin to thank him, he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You begin to see him as he is and your problem begins to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Right? That happens when? When we give that sacrifice of praise. Now, God makes this a sounding statement in the New Testament. And he says that he's going to rebuild or raise up David's tabernacle. Now, there's several tabernacles or temples in the Old Testament. Moses built one out in the desert. Had three compartments. The priests could only go in, the high priest, to that last compartment once a year. And this was true with all the tabernacles. All right? And the Ark of the Covenant was there. The tangible presence of God was there. And he would come in once a year. And the Bible says never without blood. And he would put that blood on the mercy seat and get forgiveness for the people of God. Right? So he had that tabernacle. Later, Moses, excuse me, Moses, Solomon built a tabernacle. It was one of the wonders of the world. Gold, silver, precious stones. When the queen of Sheba saw it, the Bible says she had no more breath left in her right then Zerubbabel built a temple and it wasn't as magnificent as Solomon's but it was a, a great temple and then finally about the time that Jesus was was being was born it was, was under construction Herod the Great's temple and it was said about Herod the Great's temple it was said you have not seen a magnificent building until you have seen it, it took 38 years to build gold precious stones all over but listen to this God says, after this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. And most people say, David didn't have a tabernacle. In fact, he prepared stuff for Solomon to build a temple. What about, what is this David's tabernacles thing? Well, David did have a tabernacle. And it was a big tent. It wasn't fancy at all. All right? It was just a big tent. And he took and he put the ark inside that tent. And any person could walk into that tent at any time and instantly you were in the presence of God. And what David did, listen, he took the Levites and he divided them up into groups so that 24-7, 365 days a year, there were hundreds of Levites inside of that temple, that tent, Praising and worshiping God every day, 24-7, 365. And God said, the tabernacle that I'm going to raise up in the last days is the one where people can immediately come into my presence through praise and worship. That's the one that God is going to raise up. And how many of you want to have a part in what God's doing in the last days? Right? He's building, he, he is raising up the praise and the worship that has fallen that we have almost forgotten about. He says that people will come into his presence and worship. Now, the next pillar we want to talk about is children and youth ministry. 
age-appropriate ministry. Now, I grew up in church. Uh, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, I was in church. Let me just say this, I hated church. I hated Sunday. I hated everybody who went to church because they were there. Because I just hated church. You say, why? Because I'm five years old, all right, and I'm sitting there in church, and the pastor's talking, and, and I don't have a, everything is up here. Everything's going over my head. And I got to sit there and be still. Right? And I'm ADD, and I just could not do that. And so my dad is pinching me all the time. Right? I think I still have spots on my legs where he pinched me. Right? And then he's trying to bribe me with these little, little chocolate things, you know. And then I just couldn't be still, and he'd pick me up and haul me out. And you know what's going to happen, you know. And I'm yelling, pray for me! You know. <laughs> I just, it was not good. All right? I did not have a good experience, all right. And so... So, so what we do is we have age-appropriate ministry for children, right? We want our children to love to come to church, right? And I love it when parents say, well, we were going to sleep in, but our kids wouldn't let us. Our kids say, how many days till church? How many days till church? Right? Now, when you're five years old, you don't need to know that David and Bathsheba committed adultery and that Joshua killed a lot of people at Jericho or that Rahab was a prostitute. But you need to know that God created you, that he loves you, that you've sin, you sin, that Jesus came and died on the cross and paid for your sin and rose again. Listen, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15. And that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. It says from childhood. The Message Bible makes this clearer. It says, you took in the sacred scriptures with your mother's milk. And there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's letting us know when, when it's talking about from childhood, it's talking about from when they are extremely young. All right? What we would call an infant. It says, even from that time, he says, you took in the scriptures with your mother's milk. I want you to think about this. Moses family. They're, they're, they're Jews. They're slaves in Egypt. The king, the pharaoh has made a decree. Every male child that's born to a Jew has to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. When Moses is born, his parents, they keep him. They keep him hidden for about three months. And it gets hard to hide him. So the Bible says that Moses' mother took some bulrushes and she made a little boat or an ark. And she put Moses in it. And she went down to the Nile River. She went down where she knew Pharaoh's daughter was going to show up. And she put Moses out there in some bulrushes in the river. And Moses' daughter comes and sees that little boat and sends somebody out and they bring it. And when she opens it up, Moses starts to cry. And, and Moses' mother was smart. She had Moses' sister watching. So Moses' sister runs up and says to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to find a Jewish woman to take care of that baby for you? And she said, yeah. And she said, and I'll pay her. That's good, getting paid for taking care of your own kids. <laughs> right? So she keeps him, the Bible says, until he's weaned. Now, in the way, ancient world, that could have been until he was three or four years old. Right? And here's what the, it's interesting. His mother taught him the word of God as just a little child, and he couldn't get away from it. He could not get away from it. 
And by the time he's 40 years old, the word of God that's on the inside of him is rising up. And he ends up, the Bible says, by faith, he left all of the treasures of Egypt and decided to suffer with God's people. Now, we can help you, but you need to understand, if you're parents, that you are the number one influencers in your children's life. It's in Deuteronomy 6, in verse 6, where God is teaching parents how to pass their faith along generationally. And he starts with this. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. They need to be in your heart. You tell people what you know, but you reproduce what you are. So you're telling your kids one thing and you're doing something else. What are you going to reproduce? You're not going to reproduce what you say. You're going to reproduce what you are. So the first thing God says is, parents, you need to make sure this is in your heart. Because you can tell them something that's not in your heart, but what they're going to pick up on, what they're going to do, is what's in your heart. They're going to do what you do, not what you tell them. Right? And he says, now listen to all these yous. All right? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontless before your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I think God's trying to communicate to parents, you are responsible. You are the number one influencers in your children's lives. Now, as a church, we're here to help you, right? But we cannot completely take your place, right? We want to help, and we can help. But what you want to do, what every one of us want to do, is we want to pass our faith on to our children. It's in 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul says, when I call to remembrance a genuine faith that's in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is also in you. He just said, look, it was in grandma, it was in your mother, and now that faith is in you. The, the greatest thing you can do for your children is not take them to Disney World. It's not give them a great vacation. Right? The greatest thing you can do for your children is pass the faith that is in your heart to your children. Right? Train up a child in the way they should go when they're old. They will not depart from it. Right? And it really, really, it is so important what happens when our children are young. They are the most receptive. The National Association of Evangelicals took and did a huge, huge survey. Right? I think we've got the results right up there. 63% of people who become Christian, who receive Jesus, do it between the ages of 4 and 14. Right? 34% between the age of 15 and 29. And only 2% after 30. You see, it's when our hearts are young. Jesus said it this way. He said, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God as a little child will no means enter it. We've got to have the faith of a little child. Right? And it is so much easier. Children are so much more receptive. People are more receptive when they're young. And Jesus showed that even ministry to the youngest of children is important. They wanted to bring little children to Jesus. And the disciples said, no, they cannot come. Get rid of them. And Jesus said, no. He said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he takes and he places his hands on them, the Bible says, and he blessed them. Right? They were so young, they could not even receive teaching. All right? But Jesus said, but they, they need ministry. 
He said, we're going to just lay our hands on them and we're going to bless them. You see, most parents treat their children like a car. You say, what do you mean? Right? They wait till an emergency red light comes on before they do anything. Right? They, they, they wait until there's problems. All right? Cars and kids need regular maintenance. Right? And you don't wait until your child is 14 or 15 years old to start to develop a spiritual environment in your home. All right? The truth is that spiritual development operates on a spiritual principle of harvest. It means this, that you sow now and you reap later. You sow today, but you don't reap today. You reap later. Right? And if you don't sow, you cripple your harvest. You see, you begin, to, you begin to reap a harvest in your children when they reach adolescence. You reap the seed that you have sown years and years later. Right? Now, the Barner Research Group is predominantly a Christian demographic poll, polling organization. Right? And uh, they have polled hundreds of thousands of young people. And the result of that was they, they said several things. First of all, they said this, that by the time a person is 13, it says what the essence of what they believe, unless there is a move of God, an act of God, is what they will die believing. Now, I want to talk to you about the importance a minute about, of, of ministering to children and ministering to youth. Now, Billy Graham, Bill Bright, James Rayburn, who founded the Navigators, all have this in common. I've mentioned this before. They all had contact with the same Sunday school teacher, Henrietta Myers. Always think about that. Three of the people that did more to evangelize the world in the 20th century than anybody else. Bill Bright's movie of Jesus was seen by over 2 billion people. Phenomenal, phenomenal. What they have in common? A Sunday school teacher. Isn't that amazing? Such an impact. Edward Kimball taught Sunday school in the 1850s in Chicago. He had one student who said he was just really a problem. He came, but he was reluctantly came. He said he was just on his heart. He said this student was spiritually dense and unable to understand biblical concepts. Right? He said he stuck with him. He said he was kind to him. He prayed for him, went and visited him one day, and ultimately won that young person that day that he went and visited him. He won him to the Lord. All right. Now, as far as we know, it is the only person that Kimball ever won to the Lord. And by the way, the guy's name was Dwight L. Moody, the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. Won hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Right? Who was he? He was just a Sunday school teacher. And it, it seemed kind of like even a failure because he only won one person to the Lord. But you know what? It, may he, that one person had a tremendous, tremendous impact. Children and youth ministry matters. It helps our young people and our kids make sense out of life. You know, they are taught evolution, not as a theory, but as a fact. Right? And literally, that, that eons ago, there was this pool with some slime, and there was electricity that hit it, and the slime came alive, and it grew a tail, and it swam around for a while, and then it grew some legs, and it hopped out, and it played around on the sand for a while, and then it grew some hair, and two, a tail, and it climbed up on a tree, and one day it got a briefcase and went to work. And that's why you're here, all right? There is no purpose to your life. There is no destiny. There is no morality. There is no eternity. Right? Is it any wonder 
when you're taught that, that we see young people taking guns to school and shooting people. Right? There's no purpose to your life. There's no value to your life. You are a cosmic accident. But what ministry does, when they're taught the Bible, it helps them make sense out of life. And it literally is the greatest, the best chance that young people have to ever receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It helps them avoid the negative outcomes of sin. Now it says this in Titus 2. It says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and it teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly lusts and to live sober, righteous, godly lives in this present age. God's grace teaches you to say what? No. In fact, everybody shout that. No. You know, the world tells you whatever comes your way, if you just want it, do it. No, but the word of God, the grace of God teaches us to say no. Right? It surrounds us with positive, those young people, with positive influences, positive friends. Right? Young people want to fit. They don't want, to, they don't want to stand out. They want to fit. Peer pressure is incredibly powerful for a young person. And the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Now, you know this. Wherever the Bible says don't be deceived, it is where people are the most deceived. I promise you. It says evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. Right? You bring them to a youth group. You bring them around people that are trying to please God, that are worshiping God, that are taught what is right, what is wrong. It will make a difference. Right? It helps them be more loving in their outlook on their self and the world with times of prayer, ministry trips, mission trips. Right? It supports the godly parenting that they're receiving in their home when they get it again at church. Right? It sets them up in a habit of prioritizing church. Right? The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together as is the custom of some. You know, so often what we have is we have people that when the weather's good, they show up. When it's bad, they don't show up. When, it's, when the weather's nice, they don't show up. Right? There's just sometimes they show up. When it's convenient, they show up. All right? But this really helps them get that habit. Now listen, all of your compromises are going to become your children's norms. Right? Your compromise will become your children's norm. If you're looking for an excuse, you get the excuse, but that's going to become the norm for them. They aren't going to need an excuse. All right? um, it's a place where hard questions are answered at an age-appropriate level. Right? And, and the, the questions that young people are asking today are questions that 30 years ago people were asking when they were 20 years old. But they're wanting to know about morality, about evolution, about creation. Is there absolute truth? About dating. Well, how far is too far? Right? Now, if you're going to listen to the world, they're going to give you a condom and say, have fun. Right? And mess yourself up. Right? It provides for other positive role models. Right? It's a place where they can begin to use their gifts for God, whether it's leading worship, prayer, discipleship. Right? And then lastly, it helps renew their mind through systematic Bible instruction. And that is something that every single one of us need. We need to constantly have our minds renewed. Now, I know that parents are at different spots, different levels in this. Some are just totally unaware. 
Right? They're just living their life for themselves, and they come to church when it's convenient. Right? There's others that are aware. Right? Uh, they come. Sometimes they get their kids involved, but, but they want to become better parents. Right? They're kind of at an entry level when it comes to church and the children's ministry. So their kids will occasionally come to a children's or youth activity. Right? And the parents, they're, they're trying to take steps to help their children move in the right direction. Then there's parents that are engaged, all right? They're committed to parenting with the church, right? They're growing in their relationship with God, and they're assuming some responsibility for the spiritual leadership in the home, for setting your home up as a, with a spiritual atmosphere where God is first. And then there's those that are invested, all right? Parents that proactively donate time and energy to parenting with the church. They understand the importance of children's ministry, and they understand that their children's spiritual future is determined by the seeds that they sow today. And they are committed to their children's spiritual future and invest time and energy. Now, when we were in the back in between services, I mentioned I was talking with Pastor Joe, and he brought up this verse. He says, this was the verse that helped me, he said, when I was in children's ministry. So I want to read it to you. Right? Matthew 10, he receives a prophet, and the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. He receives a righteous man, and the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man reward. But whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of water in the name of a disciple or because they're a disciple, assuredly, I say to you, they will by no means lose the reward. You might think somebody's back in the nursery today, and they're just babysitting. I've got news for you. The Bible says right here what they're doing, because they're a disciple, they're doing that. The Bible says they will never lose the reward. And you, you might think that children's ministry, that youth ministry is insignificant. I believe that what happens back there is more important than what happens here. That's the future. That is the future. You and I, we've made a commitment, or the majority of us have. But back there, they're still making that commitment. And I just want to say this. There's something better than going to heaven. You say, what's that? It's going to heaven and taking your family with you. And it doesn't happen by accident. Right? It happens because you prioritize and you set that spiritual environment in your home. And I want to encourage you to do just that. Prioritize your family your children, and set that in spiritual environment in your home. Say, if you've been watching and you know you're not right with God, you've drifted away or you've never given him your life, and you know I need forgiveness, I need to be right with God, I want to ask you to bow your head right now and pray this prayer from your heart. You say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that simple prayer, God heard that prayer, and you are right with God. Now, I wrote a book. I'd like you to have it. You can download it. Information's right there on your screen. And if this program is blessing you, would you please become a partner with us? Thank you. God bless you. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, If any two of you agree concerning a matter on earth, it shall be done for you. We believe that God acts powerfully when we come to Him in prayer. 
Please call now to let us know of your prayer requests so we can begin praying for you. Thank you for watching Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith is made possible in part by the generous gifts of our viewers. If you would like to contribute to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through this program, please contact us at Walking by Faith, 5120 Ivan Rest Avenue Southwest, Granville, Michigan, 49418.